How y'all doing, people of God? Y'all doing good? If you will, uh, stand with me and let's read the Word of God. Uh, if you can open your Bibles to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. Uh, we're going to begin at verse 1 and read down to uh, verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 1, we're going to read down to, to verse 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God uh, commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land uh, to which you are going over to possess it, uh, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, uh, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing uh, with milk and honey. Verse 4, everybody join in with me. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Uh, today we're gonna talk about the prodigal parents uh, God's mission for your family, the prodigal parents, uh, God's mission for your family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for this opportunity to uh, dig in your word, uh, to see uh, your heart, to see your ways that we may do them, uh, that we may follow them, uh, that the posture of our hearts and our very beings may be those uh, submitted to the authority and majesty of the Lord God. And so uh, may your word be clear. May it be uh, passionate and powerful. May it uh, penetrate the very core of ourselves, Lord, so that transformation uh, may happen uh, and that it may flow from the reality of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross on our behalf. And so we just pray this in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, uh, it, it, for, for those of y'all who have been trekking with us, we, we just started our first uh, vacation Bible school last week. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And uh, so we, we, we had uh, last week, and uh, we're f uh, following it up with this upcoming week. And so uh, I, was, I was tasked with um, marrying those two weeks by preaching on uh, family or preaching about family and uh, the dynamics uh, of the family, uh, what God intended when he created the family. And so, uh, so that's going to be our topic today. And so um, this is where we find ourselves in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, a bunch of things have happened uh, thus far in the Bible. So, so by way of background, we're going to do a, a quick uh, a quick catch up to this point. Um, so we've got, uh, we've got God creating everything. He makes uh, man, uh, male and female, right? And he, uh, he starts the institution of marriage, one of the first institutions of marriage and by, by marriage, also family. Uh, and he gives them one of the commands and he says uh, to be fruitful and multiply. So he gives them sex so that they can have children. Um, the blessing of sex, uh, the way that you knew that God's hand was on sex was children. Uh, it, you know, it's funny how we uh, now are trying to find every which way to have sex without the blessing of what sex was supposed to produce, right? And so the blessing of sex was children. So he told them to go forth, be fruitful, multiply, and, and by way of multiplying, become image bearers of, uh, of God-like ones, right? And so uh, they do that, populate the earth. Uh, in that process, every, people turn from God. Uh, uh, in, that, in that time, you have uh, a small cluster of people 
uh, called the Israelites who are now in bondage in Egypt. Uh, They're in slavery, being beaten down, depressed. Uh, They cry out to God. He hears them. uh, And now he delivers this group of people uh, from Egyptian rule. Uh, He takes them out of Egypt. He says, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And so because of that, I have to distinguish and separate you from the rest of the world. I have to give you uh, my laws, my way of doing things, my heart, so that you know that I have as God a certain type of character. I have certain type of uh, expectations of you. Uh, And so they're in the wilderness. Uh, While they're in the wilderness, they complain a lot. Uh, They begrudge and bemoan a lot. Uh, They're not happy. They wish they were still in Egypt. Uh, they're, they're They're so bugged out that God has to wipe out an entire generation where he says, y'all are so foul, I'm not going to let y'all into the promised land that I'm going to give you. So he wipes out an entire generation. Now we have the new generation on the edge of the promised land. But before they go in, God says to Moses, I want my people, this new generation, uh, to, to uh, recommit themselves to me covenantally. And so he says, before you can go into the land, I want you to go back again and express, reteach, repreach the law that was originally uh, given. And so that's where we get the book of Deut- Deuteronomy from. It means second law, not second in the sense of it's another law, but it's the repreaching or reteaching of the original law that was given. And so he says, he says, I want you to teach them my law before they go into the land so that when they get there, they know the expectations, they know what's about to happen. If they go in there and bug out, then they'll know when I, when, I, when I act a fool afterwards and kick them back out again, they'll know why. It won't be no issues. Uh, it kind of reminded me of my mom before, when I was younger, uh, before we would leave out the house, she would have us, you know, all, it was five kids, so I had four, four, three younger brothers and an older sister. She would make us wait at the door for her before we left the house, uh, and she would kneel around us, uh, and then she would get down real close so that she knew, uh, that we, so we knew that she was being serious and what she was about to tell us was important, and she would say to us, Uh, when we get out here, if you embarrass me, I'm going to embarrass you. I don't know if y'all got that uh, when y'all was younger. Basically, that meant if you go out here and act a fool and people looking at me like, yo, she got some bad, crazy kids, I'm going to embarrass you publicly. Ain't none of that wait till we get home type of mess. I'm going to go upside your head right now. I don't care about no police. I don't care about getting arrested. I don't care about none of that. Go ahead and act a fool if you want to. Right? And so in, in the same way, God is doing this with the, with the Israelites. He's saying, if you go in there and act a fool, like, like I'm going I'm to I'm I'm let you have it. Right? Matter of fact, Moses in chapter 31 basically tells them, he says, he says I, y'all are so bugged out while I'm alive, I'm about to die. So I know y'all ain't going to listen to nothing I'm about to tell y'all. Like he knows they're going to go in there and act a fool. Uh, and so we get to this point where uh, God, through Moses, is, is reestablishing the law, uh, reestablishing covenantal relationship of expectations with his people before they go into the land uh, and, and, and act a fool. Um, now, uh, uh, real quick side note, uh, we're going to be talking a lot about parenting, family, and children. Uh, single people, if you're not married yet, if you don't have children yet, don't check out on me uh, because this is necessary uh, and useful for you. Uh, if, your, if your children are already grown up, don't check out on me because it's still going to be necessary and useful uh, to you. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, if you don't have kids yet, uh, you still need to pay attention to this because what's going to happen is you're going to take the way in which you were raised and parented and your family dynamics, and you're most likely going to bring that into how you create family uh, when it's time for you to have a family. Uh, now, I'll tell you why that's an issue because most of you don't realize how jacked up your family is right now. If you, your family right now that you grew up in is basically like living in a hall of mirrors. So you ever been to the carnival, you go into the hall of mirrors, mirrors, every, every, like you, there's distortions all around, right? So you grow, it's basically like you grown up in a hall of mirrors. So those distortions now become normal to you and you can't perceive what true reality really is. And so it's important for us It's important for the way in which uh, our family structure is developed and nurtured to make sure that that, that the perceived image of what it's supposed to be looks like what God wants it to be and has the purpose that God has for it and not our distorted passions uh, of what our families look like, okay? Uh, so uh, as we as we so keep trekking with me as we as we go through this. Uh, so we got Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter six. Look at verse one for me. Uh, now this is the commandment uh, that the statutes, uh, the, the commandments, the statutes and the rules uh, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, 
uh, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Uh, that you may do them in the land which you are going over uh, to possess it. So uh, first thing Moses wants to make very clear to them is that uh, this is not a word from me. This is not a word from man. Uh, this isn't my, these aren't my ideas. These aren't my passions. And so he wants to make it very clear before they go into this land. I, I want to let you, this is God's word. These, these, these are God's expectations. Uh, the, these are God, this is the mind and the heart of God. So when you go over there, don't blame it on me if you wild out or don't know what's going on or act a fool. Uh, because you can't say, well, so-and-so told me because he's letting them know that God commanded me to tell you these things, right? Uh, and so then he says, uh, when you, uh, um, these are the statutes, rules, commandments uh, that God wanted me to teach you so that when you get into the land, you may do them. Now, obviously, God had some plans for them in the land, and there, was, there were particular, there's so many laws and rules, we're not going to go through the whole book and all of them, but there was a particular way in which God wanted them to live and behave themselves, that he wanted them to be perceived as set apart, set aside ones, uh, as, as image bearers of God, as people of God. He wanted them to be perceived a particular way because the ultimate, the ultimate reason for them being called out was so that they could reflect the glory of God. And so God had specific ideas and desires for them when they got into the land. And Moses is communicating, when you get there, just know that God has particular and purposeful requirements of you while you're in the land, right? And so we go on to uh, verse 2, that you may fear the Lord uh, your God. Now, uh, one of the popular places that we see this idea of fearing the Lord is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, uh, uh, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, we're not talking about this idea of fear in which you're saying, I'm afraid of God, or I have to run and, and cower and hide the things uh, behind things from God. We're talking about the idea of fear in which um, uh, there's, a, there's a reverent respect for God. There's an understanding that God is so, he's so big and so awesome and so holy. Uh, he's, he, he's, he's, he's revered and, and he's, he's so great and, and, and so far uh, past what I am and I'm so down here uh, that my posture is one of humility because I understand who he is and I understand who I am in relation to who he is, right? Now, stay with me because it's not just merely an understanding of who God is, how great God is, and how small I am. Because if it's merely just how great God is and how small I am, so if I recognize and respect how great God is, but I don't submit and, sub my, and, and, and subject myself under his authority, and I see how great he is and I turn and walk away, then you're just in rebellion. So it can't just stay at how great is God, how low am I, all right, I'm good. No, it, the fear of the Lord is the process by which you actively initiate putting yourself under the authority of God because of who he is, right? So it's very purposeful. There's an there's a understanding, God, you're holy, just, beautiful, creative, and you're, you're wonderful and miraculous, and I'm the complete opposite of all of that which I just described. So because of that, I'm going to now adapt your way of thinking, your way of doing things, because they're always right, and they're always good, and they're always perfect. So now I'm going to adapt that way of thinking, and I'm going to initiate submitting myself under that authority. Why is that important? Because that's the fear of the Lord. But the fear of the Lord doesn't just stop there. It's the beginning of knowledge. So what does that mean? That means that everything that there is to know about anything starts with a proper respect of who God is. For instance, you can't properly know how to parent or how to love or how to sacrifice. You don't know your role in marriage. You don't know about justice. You know absolutely nothing about anything unless you've submitted your heart and your life to God in such a way that says, I need to know how God thinks about this so I can know how I think about this, right? So, so, so when we get to the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge, it starts with and flows from an understanding of who God is and the reality of saying, I'm going to take on not only his characteristics, but I'm going to take on the way that he thinks about things and he wants them to be done. And that's the way I'm going to move forward in every single decision and direction of my life. Y'all with me? Yeah. 
Okay, so he says, he says, now, I want you to take my rules, my commandments, my statutes. I want you to go into the land, and when you go into the land, I want you to operate under uh, uh, the pretense of having the fear of the Lord, yeah. right? And so verse 2b, look at that with me. So that you may have the fear of the Lord, you and your sons uh, and your sons' sons. What does that mean? Now, I don't know if y'all uh, know anybody who is just like wealthy beyond, just, just rich than a mug, just rich, like they got too much money. Um, I, if, I wish I knew somebody like that, because I'd have more money, because I'd be asking for money all the time. I don't know about y'all, but, but, but if, you, if you think, for instance, like a Bill Gates, Bill Gates got too much money for him to spend right now. Like he can't, he got, too, he got so much money that if he was just spending money, he, like he has to give it to somebody because he's not going to spend it all in his lifetime, Right? And so, so for Bill Gates, he has to give it to a son or, a, a, you know, or somebody in the next generation. And, and because of how much money he has, like even in their lifetime, they can't spend it all. So they've got to give it to somebody else. This is what he's saying your obedience and the fear of the Lord should look like. You, you're, the depth of your soul as it relates to obedience to God and the ways of God and the things of God should be so deep and so rich that, that you can't consume it all in your lifetime and it spills over into the next generation. And then the, the obedience and the impact of obedience and faithfulness is so rich that your son can't even exhaust it in his lifetime and it has to spill over to the next generation. He's saying you need to have an intentional purposeful obedience to God in such a way that that people two and three generations from now that you don't think of and nobody's thinking of have been impacted by it. He's saying, that's what I want your fear of the Lord to look like. So he said, when, when, when you take my statutes and my commandments and you go into the land and, and, and you begin to, to have the fear of the Lord, make sure that, that you're not just thinking about you. I need you to get outside of your own little sphere, your own little life, your own little body. I need you to stop living a, a selfish Christianity of one and begin to think about the impact that your obedience and faithfulness to God is going to have to somebody that you don't even know yet. So he says, he says that you may fear the Lord your God, uh, your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command to you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Uh, hear, therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them. Be, be, be careful to do them. Like, be aware of what you're doing. Be careful to do the things of God. See, it's, it's, easy, it's easy to just walk in Christianity uh, and not be careful of the things of God, and then your Christianity becomes moralism. And so he says, I don't want you just to do right for the sake of doing right. I want you to do the things of God. But I, I want you to do right with the things of God in mind, flowing from the ways of God, flowing from the heart of God. So I want you to be careful to do, conscious and aware of everything that I'm telling you to do. I want you to be aware that you're doing them, right? Uh, and so, so he says, be careful to do them that it may go well with you. Uh, and that you may multiply greatly. Now, he's not saying that everything's going to be perfect. Because, mind you, there's people in the land that he, they're going to have to go in and move out. So they're going to have to fight. Some of y'all are going to die. But he tells them it's going to be well with them if they have the fear of the Lord. Right? So he's, obviously, he's not referring to an earthly perspective of being well. He's talking about your soul's posture of the fear of the Lord and what it does in your heart and in your soul that, that makes it be well with your soul. Right? And so, so he says that, that it may be well with you that you may uh, live in the land and dwell there, uh, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land and shall possess it. All right, verse, um, um, uh, verse 4. Let's jump to first, verse 4. So we got, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, uh, the Lord is one. This is the traditional uh, 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 confession of faith in Judaism. Right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, uh, the Lord is one. Now, this is where he says the Lord is one. He's not talking about uh, the Trinitarian view uh, of Christianity. He's not contradicting it either. But what he's saying, it's going to bring me to my first of four points. I got four points today. This is the first one. So when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, what is he getting? He's saying, he's saying God is unique. He said, the I want you to have, so these four, these four before we jump in that, but these four points that, that we're going to go over is going to be related to the structure in which God wants the family to be built on. 
and operate under. He wants the tenor and the culture of your family, the tone of your family to stem from these things, three things. And so the first one is God is unique. What does that mean? That means that, that there is absolutely nothing in heaven or earth, uh, under the heaven or, or, or created or, or not, that is, that is comparable to the person of God. Absolutely nothing. So when you're in your homes, you need to be telling your children about how big and how awesome and how wonderful and how creative and how good and how kind and how gentle God is. You, th- there needs to be a sense, an overwhelming sense, where the massivity of God in your home is all your kids hear about. You have to push it and push it and push it. Like, and be cr- Listen, I go with my daughter. Like when we go, when we go places, I say, babe. How great is God that we get to eat ice cream? Like, how fun is God that he would give us water slides? Like, like everything that you talk about with your children needs to point back to how good and how creative and how awesome God is. Because he's unique. There's nothing like him. And this was important in their culture because they came out of a polytheistic culture where there was a worship of all types of gods, right? And so, the, so, so God had to make him, God had to let them know, I'm not like anything you've ever experienced in your life. Them other guys that you, that you so claim to worship, like their attitudes always change. You never know what they're going to do. They never answer none of your prayers. And so, and so for me, I need, you, I need you to know that regardless of circumstance and situations, my expectations and my holiness and my righteousness doesn't change. The, my, the, the way I relate to you doesn't change. Matter of fact, I'm going to answer some of your prayers, not all of them, but some of them. And when I don't answer your prayers, that's a prayer being answer for you on your behalf you just don't know it yet right and so this is God setting himself up to say listen you can't like you better recognize who I am because I'm not like I, I'm flyer than fly like there's nobody you can compare me to there's nothing that you can liken to me like I'm awesome I'm God I'm God I'm God right so in listen in so in our homes when we're talking to our children, when we're setting the tenor and the tone of, of our family structure, there has to be a reality of God being bigger and better than everything. God is unique. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Point number two, there needs to be an unquestionable commitment to Jesus. An unquestionable commitment to Jesus. What do I mean by that? There should be absolutely nothing in your life or in the life of your child that competes with the affections they should have for Jesus. Absolutely nothing. See, as parents, sometimes we prioritize education over their relationship with Jesus. We prioritize their gifts and their talents and the sports and hobbies and our careers and our personal time and our preferences. And we, 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 we establish a set of norms where the priority is everything else but cultivating a relationship with the living God in the hearts of our children. They should know. They should be able to look at you and know that for you, like, there is absolutely nothing that's more important than a relationship with Jesus. Listen, sometimes your kids need to just stand there and look at you like you're crazy because you're, they caught you in the middle of worship. And I ain't, just, I ain't just talking about the women, so dudes don't look at me funny. Sometimes your children need to walk in on you crying with your hands lifted, worshiping God, because they need to know that, it, they need to know that at, at some point in time, I'm going to walk in and my parents worshiping the Lord is going to look crazy, but I'm going to begin to develop an idea that says, I know, when, I know when things are not going well or even when things are going good that my parents have the unction and the faithfulness to cry out to God. And they're going to learn how to cry out to God from watching you. That's, that's something I learned from my mom a long time ago. My dad wasn't a believer. My mom was a believer. But I remember watching my mom on numerous occasions crying and calling out to God when things weren't going well. And I've learned, I've learned the faithfulness of God. I didn't learn anything about my mom. I learned the faithfulness of God 
uh, in difficult circumstances by watching her cry out to the Lord when things weren't going well. You've got to be able to push everything aside and show, a, 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 a show such a deep passion for, dis, for the discipleship relationship uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ that sometimes it looks crazy to your kids. It's like my, my daughter has pulled on my jeans before and look at me all crazy. Daddy, daddy, what you doing? And Daddy's worshiping, baby. You want to join me? They, they need to see that. They need to see that. There should be absolutely nothing that you, if you ask your children, what's, what's the greatest love that your parents have? They shouldn't be able to say anything but Jesus. That's the type of legacy you want to leave, that, the, that you're known. Like the passion of your heart is known for your relationship with God. An unquestionable commitment uh, to Jesus. And it should invade every single uh, area of your life. Because he says, he says uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not some of your heart. Not just parts of your heart. But all of your heart, uh, your soul, and your strength. Which means that every single area of your life should be impacted and permeated with this deep relational connection to the vine. Right? I know we, I know we say it, and sometimes it sounds cliche, showing off the glory of Christ in every area of life. But I'm going to be real honest with y'all. Some of y'all have not gone all in for Jesus yet. Some of y'all are holding back areas of your life. Some of y'all look real nice when it comes to being on the stage or talking to people out here. But when you get home and the doors close, some of y'all, areas of y'all life look rugged. They look, un, they look untouched by the gospel untransformed by the gospel. Your children are watching you. An unquestionable commitment to Jesus. Let's move. Uh, verse, verse, uh, verse 6. Uh, and these words that, co- that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them uh, and diligently to your children and shall talk about them uh, when you sit uh, in, in, your, in, in your homes. Uh, point number three, godly instruction begins in the home. You, 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 you want to know one of the things that, that, uh, that, that parents utilize their church wrongly for? Shepherding their children. Oh, I'll just drop them at youth group. I'll just take them up to children's church. And, and you don't even think to ask them what they learned that day. See, the problem is, especially in the church, see, we can talk about the world all we want to and how nobody ain't watching their kids run around here late at night in the neighborhood. We can say that all we want to. Listen, us right here ain't parenting our kids. Us right here ain't giving godly instruction. You, you want to know why? Some of us is just lazy. Other, other of us don't, have, don't know the word enough for ourselves to be able to give it to nobody. That's why he says, that's why he says that these commandments may be on your heart. There's a sense in which you need to be meditating on the word of God. You need to understand the word of God so that, not just for yourselves, but so that you know how to properly apply it. Yes, to your own life, but if the word of God isn't richly ingrained in your soul, then how are you going to properly apply what your children are going through? How you, how you going to do it? So there's a, there's a sense in, listen... We, as parents, you've got to be intentional about sharing the word of God with your children. You've got you've to be on the lookout for teaching moments and opportunities to give instruction, right? You've got to be aware of that because many of, many of us, those teaching moments that happen on a daily basis pass us by because we're not even thinking like that. We're not looking for opportunities to instruct and shepherd and guide and nurture the heart of our children. We're not even, that's not even on our radar, because, because you got to get the car serviced, or you got clothes to clean, or, or, or you're running late for work. We've got, we're so consumed with everything but shepherding the heart of our children. It's of eternal value. It's of eternal value. Somebody can tell, somebody can tell you, you're so heavenly minded, you ain't earthly good all you want, but that ain't most of us. Most of y'all is so earthly minded, you ain't no heavenly good. Then these, then these, there's got to be a sense, there's got to be a sense of, like, we got to get this thing. You got to be on it. So, if it's upon your heart, he says, put the word of God, maybe upon your heart so that you can teach 
all these different times, right? Uh, so if the word of God has been upon your heart and it's rested there and it's and been grafted into your soul, there's a, there's a number of things I want you to know. It's never, there's never a bad time or a wrong time to give instruction from the word of God. There's never a bad time. And it's never too late. So parents, some of y'all may have older kids and you feel like that time has passed. It's never too late. It's never too late to give instruction from the word of God. Don't be afraid of how they might view you for giving them godly instruction. The Lord didn't give you as a gift to them as a parent to be their peer. He didn't give you to be their peer. He gave you to parent and to lead and to nurture and to guide, right? When you're intentional about the word of God because it's on your heart, you don't get annoyed easily. See, some of us hinder the teaching and instruction time we can give to our kids because we get annoyed that they inconvenience us. I can't teach you right now, and you're bothering me. I'm on Facebook. My favorite show is on. Listen, when, when, you're deal- when you're dealing with kids, you should want them to bother you as often as possible to give you those moments. The day, the day that they stop coming to you and asking you stuff over and over and over again, that's the day you've lost your child to somebody else. There needs to be a sense in which we exercise the fruit of the spirit by saying, yes, I know this. I know they keep asking me the same question over and over and over again. But you know what? That means I get to explain it to them over and over and over again. And maybe they'll get it. Two, if, if, the, if you're intentional about the word of God being on your heart in these teaching times, then you don't wait or depend on others to lead your children spiritually for you. You're not, you're not looking for somebody to come in and save the day. But you take the responsibility of being the primary teacher in the home. You've given clear vision and clear understanding. Right? See, the, the church is not parenting your children. The church should not be parenting your children. The church is just a means by which God allows other people to come alongside of what you should already be doing in your home. And three, if you're intentional about the word of God being on your heart and it's been engrafted in you, uh, then, then what you do is you guard against being blindsided by major issues that your child may be dealing with. See, when we, when we ignore the responsibility of, of ourselves being intentionally engaged in the lives of our children, see, when we, when we do that, then we, we know what's going on in their lives. We, we know what they're struggling with. We know what they're wrestling through. And if you, if you don't know how to do that, if you're afraid or if you're just plain lazy, then, I, then, then you won't know when they're really wrestling with something of some, that has some substance behind it because you, you're not engaged in their life in any way. We, listen, we, you, we can't hinder our children from being able to learn from us. I tell you, one of the, one of the other things that, that many of us as parents make is when, when our children are really struggling with something difficult, especially when, especially when we talk about older children, teenagers, who may or may not be Christians, but when they're really struggling with something and they actually are brave enough to come to you, the, the first response can't always be wrath, discipline, anger. It can't be. Because then, the, what, then what, what begins to happen is they no longer even feel safe enough to really share some areas of their life and of their heart with you because they know you're not going to hear the struggle. You're just going to hear rebellion against their, against their commandments. That's all you're going to hear. Now, I'm not saying don't discipline your kids. I'm not saying that at all because I got my behind tore up when I was younger. And I've always told my wife, there's one reason, there's one thing that I'd be willing to go to jail for, and that's for whooping somebody behind. 
I don't mind standing before the judge. Y'all can say what you want. I don't, I'll stand before the judge for spanking, whooping somebody behind. So I'm not saying don't discipline, but there is a sense which you need to be, like you need to have enough sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to know, man, my child is really dealing with something and, and, and discipline right now or, or anger right now may push them away. Let me help cultivate and walk them through what they're going through and we can wait and divert the discipline aspect or the anger aspect until we've walked through what we need to walk through with them. See, we hear, we hear the word discipline, and there's immediate reaction of, of, of this idea that it's angry and that it's forceful uh, and that there's wrath involved. Do you know what discipline means? It means correction, to correct. It's not always harsh. Discipline means I see you doing something wrong, and I'm going to come and make sure that you're now doing it the right way. That's what discipline means. Right. And so so there needs to be a sense where where one, we need to actively engage the hearts of our children. But we also need to know enough to not hinder their ability uh, to come to us so we can have those times of teaching and times of instruction. Right. Let's jump down to uh, verse verses eight and nine. Uh, you shall. Uh, uh, let's see. Verse eight. Yep. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Point four, last point. Uh, God's covenant people cannot have conditional obedience. God's covenant people cannot have conditional obedience. What does this mean? Now, back in the day, they took this literally. So they actually uh, wrote scriptures down. They would hang it up in the home and wear it on their clothes and, and, and on their bodies. Um, but the symbolic uh, 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 portion of this says that, that the word of God should always be before you. It should always be around you. So there should be absolutely nothing that you do where it's not reinforced or flow from the word of God. What, is, what, what does that mean? That means, that means, parents, you can't take a, a vacation from your obedience to God. You can't, you can't take plays off. You, you, you can't do it. And, and see, why that, the reason that's important is because it's, it's easy to look quote unquote godly in front of friends and church folk uh, and seem, it seems like you got it together and you're this, you're this dope Christian, but it, your kids know you better than anybody else. Other than your wife. Thanks, Mr. Reggie. Thanks, Mr. Reggie. Uh, but your, your children know you. They know you well because they, they see how you respond when you're angry with them. They see how you argue with mom or dad. So when the doors close, they know what you're really like, even if you portray something else when you leave those doors. They see it, and they're influenced by it. So there needs to be an obedience to God that's unrelenting. It can't be a sometimes obedience. It can't. Because you got, you got to understand, your, your, your children are impacted by what they see going on in the home. So, so husbands, dads, every once in a while, you need to slap mama on the butt. You can look at me like I'm crazy if you want to. Your, your kids need to see you slap mama on the butt once in a while. You know why? Because it lets them know that you still love their mom. It lets them know that you have affections for her. See, I don't, I don't, I don't know about you, but I grew, up, I grew up in a home, I grew up in a home where as far back as I can remember, my parents slept in different rooms. I never saw my parents hold hands. I never saw my dad take my mom on a date. I didn't see any of that. And so I had a warped view of what I wanted marriage to be like because, uh, uh, listen to this, listen to this. When I got married, my goal was to not be like my dad. It wasn't to be like Jesus. And, 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 and that's going to, you're going to fall short when anybody, whether good or bad, is the goal of your aim instead of Jesus, you're going to fall short. Because just because I'm not trying to be like my dad doesn't mean that I'm walking and flowing in what God would call a godly husband. They're watching you, your obedience to God, your commitment to the ways and the things of God has to be rock solid. It has to be. All right. So let's get into some practical stuff real quick. We're going to run through some practical stuff because we're almost out of here. Um, 
But there's, there's different dynamics in the family relationship. So you have, uh, you have uh, mom or dad or mom and dad. Uh, then you have children. Uh, and there's, there's uh, the, God has given like a hierarchical uh, position for each person. So there's roles and responsibilities within that. Uh, and so uh, we're going to go through some responsibilities. I'm just going to list them, share the scriptures, and then we're going to get to some practical application of that. Y'all all right? All right. So, so uh, these are responsibilities. Husbands. Uh, this is husband to wife, and I'll do wife to husband, then we'll do parents to children. So husband, be intimate with your wife. Be intimate with your wife. 1 Corinthians 7.3. There needs to be an enjoyment of you only sharing things with her that you don't share with anybody else. So your friends shouldn't get all of your affection or your attention. They, your friends shouldn't be the ones that only know things about you that you're struggling with or going through. Your wife needs to have a more intimate relationship than anybody. Yes. Intimacy. Comfort. Comfort your wives. Don't be so hard with her. The Bible says she's a weaker vessel, not in terms of not saying she can't do anything, but you've got to be gentle with her. You've got to comfort her. You've got to be able to discern when your wife is going through something, even when she says everything is all right. You've got to enjoy your wife. What does that mean? Be friends with your wife. It's not, it's, not, it's not feminine to be friends with your wife. It's not feminine to want to be around her or to want to hang around her. You've got to enjoy your wife. You've got to love your wife. Sacrificially. That means that you're not always going to get the benefit. You've got to please your wife. Please your wife. You, you, you've, you've, got to, you've got to praise your wife. What, what does that mean? That means that you need to speak well of her. Don't wait till she out the room to start talking about your old ball and chain or the, the old women back home. There needs to be a sense in which you're proud of your wife and you boast about her to everybody else. You need to respect your wife. See, that's hard for us guys because we, we get all spiritual and all Christian with it. I've got to lead the home. Yeah. And I'll be honest, your leadership sucks. <laughs> I'm just be real. I'm be real. Like, let, let's talk about it. Let's, let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Your, 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 leadership, your leadership doesn't make somebody do something. Your leadership isn't forceful. Your, your leadership doesn't put somebody in a chokehold and make them submit. If you're doing that, then your leadership sucks. It stinks. It's not loving. It's not gentle. It's not compassionate. Like, listen, when you force somebody to follow you, that's not leadership. That's slavery. To the wives, be intimate with your husband. Be intimate with your husband. What does that, that mean? Don't be holding out. Listen, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says don't be holding out. You can only use that I got a headache stuff so many times a month. Are we going to be real or are we going to be real? Listen, when, when, he, when, he slap you on, when he slap you on the backside, don't be talking about that get off me, don't touch me stuff. No, you better like that. You better like that. Because I'll I, I t- I tell you something. I'll tell you something. Keep doing that. I don't care how godly his, 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 he is. His eyes going to start wandering. You can say what you want. You can, you can try to trust your husband as all you want to. Stop, stop showing intimacy, intimacy to him. Stop, stop denying him. Because I'm, I'm telling you, his eyes going to wander. It's a struggle for him enough already for his eyes not to wander. Let's, let, let's be honest. This is the Bible. This is the Bible. Love your husbands. Please your husbands. Remain faithful to your husbands. 
Your only emotional attachment, your most in-depth and rich emotional attachment should be to your husband. Not to your gossipy girlfriends. You need to respect your husband. You know, you know how you test somebody respect? Wait till your husband has to make a decision that you might not agree with. We'll find out if you respect him then. We'll find out if you really respect him. Because it'll show up in how you respond. Are you, you going to fight and try to lead now? You going to take over the leadership responsibilities now? You want to do that? That's what some of y'all fight for. You think you're fighting for a particular issue. No, you're not. You're fighting for head of the household. You're fighting for a position. Submit to your husbands. Again, submit. That's, a, that's an active willingness. That's you coming underneath your husband willingly because you want to. And even sometimes when you don't want to because the Bible requires that. God requires that of you. See, you, you, find out, you find out how willing you are to submit when you start going through some difficult things. Are you going to use what your husband's doing or not doing as an excuse to buck up against it? Are you going to be, are you going to be that first Peter wife who, who follows him without saying a word but remains prayerful and entrusting herself to the one who judges justly? See, some of y'all might not like this. Some of y'all might not like what I'm saying. But again, just like Moses says, this ain't coming from me. So, so to be honest with you, I, I don't really care how you're looking at me. Because at the end of the day, you ain't got an issue with me. All right, parents, parents, parents to children. Parents' responsibilities to children. Discipline. Again, we talked about discipline, that, that, the idea of correcting them, right, to moving them from the wrong direction into the right direction. Discipline uh, your children. Love your children. Uh, that means, see, see so, so, some, of us, some of us dads, some of us dads, we, we want our sons to be men before they're men. There's this expectation for our sons to man up when they're two and three years old. He's a child. You need, to, you, need to, you need to love your son because what, what you're going to do is you're going to beat him into being a hardened, uh, emotionless dude when he gets older. And what you're showing him is it's not okay to have emotions and express them. Love your children. Pray for your children. Provide for your children. Spiritually, financially, emotionally. Respect your children. See, that's a big one. That's a big one where we fail. I'll give you an example. I'm going to give two examples. My dad, when, uh, when I was younger, um, he used to hog the remote all the time. Now, I'm not saying hog the remote is always wrong because I know as guys, we tend to hog the remote. Uh, well, don't hog the remote. Try to share the remote. But I know, I know most of the times guys hog the remote. I do it myself. Forgive me. I'm sorry. But it, it happens. But, but where the issue came was my dad would, he'd hog the remote, be watching something that nobody else wanted to watch, and he'd fall asleep. I knew, I knew he was asleep because, uh, and it wasn't the only one. I mean, I got four siblings. So I knew he was asleep because he'd be snoring, um, and his head would be cocked back, and his tongue would be out, and drool would be coming down. And, and so we knew he was sleeping. So what we would do is we would take the remote and change the channel. As soon as we changed the channel, who changed the channel? Dad, we changed the channel. You're sleeping. I was listening to that. What, what you mean you was listening to that? We could barely hear it because you were snoring so much. Like, there, there, needs, there needs to be a sense in which you respect your children, not as adults, but as image bearers and created ones. See, I learned that not too long ago because my, my daughter, she's real playful. She's three. Um, and... Every once in a while, you know, she'd be in her own little world playing with her toys, you know, playing imaginary stuff and, and all that goodness. And uh, me and my wife would, we would just call her over. We would tell her to come here. We didn't want anything. We just wanted to tickle her or bother her or mess with her or something like that, right? You know how you do that to little kids. And, but then when, when, they, when they're doing something and they don't want to stop what they're doing and they don't come right away, you get angry and say, get over here. I called you. And then we go through the whole things. How many times do I got to call you? One time, right? And so we get angry, and, the, and, the, and the, the Lord was like, one time I was doing the Lord was like, but you didn't want nothing, though. 
You didn't want anything. See, you would be highly upset if you were doing something and somebody made you come away from what you were doing and then they told you they didn't want nothing. You'd be ready to fight somebody. But you can do it to them and force that authority upon them. What does that teach them? That you don't respect their time. You, and, and, and it's about you. You're the center of the world. I don't care what you're doing. You're going to stop what you're doing and come to me now. Even though I was playing until I got serious. And, and, and see, as parents, sometimes we abuse the authority that God's given us for our own selfish reasons. See, my, my daughter's three years old, but I have to teach her that as a person, as a created one, as an image bearer, like, she gets the respect of being a human being. Not, see, I'm still her father, so obviously there are times, there are times when we need to get up and go, but, but from a standpoint of when I don't want anything, I need to, she needs to know that I value her time so that she can value her time and she can value my time. These are things that you, begin, you have to begin to teach your children. There are many other ways we as parents try to abuse our parental authority when, when, really, when really we're not dealing with a major issue. We're just dealing with our own need to be satisfied in that moment. Train your child. Train up the child in the way that they should go, that when they're not old, they uh, won't depart from it. All right, so some practical stuff. Some practical stuff. So we talked about this idea of, of, of God, uh, God having this group of people before they go into the land. He gives them his commands, his instructions. They're supposed to go in with the fear of the Lord so that they can have the mind and the heart of God and be able to do and apply that which he's telling them to do. When you get there, make sure that you have a, a, a big, massive view of who I am. Make sure that you're taking advantage of those teachable opportunities with your children. Uh, make sure that your love and obedience to me is, is unrelenting and unchallenged by anything else. And, and so this is the tenor uh, of the family that I want you to have. This should be the culture of the family that you have. And if this is the culture and tenor of your family, then it will go well with you. Now, the, God hasn't given you as parents the responsibility to save your children, right? He hasn't. So don't put that pressure of being savior to them because only Jesus can do that. Because if you try to save your children, then you're saying that you're more credible and more powerful and can do more than God can do. Okay? So I'm not telling you to try to save the souls of your children. God hasn't called you to that, nor can you do it. But as far as it depends on you, there needs to be a created environment where every time they look up, they're being pointed to the awesomeness of God. And you're sensitive enough and engaged enough in their lives where you can walk them through difficulties, where you can instruct them, where you can discipline them, and so, so that the tenor of their lives is one that's marked by all these evidences of the Lord being with them, right? So what, is, what does that mean? Did I drop a page? No, I put it behind me. All right, so uh, pra practical instruction. View your family as a vehicle for ministry. View your family as a, your, your family is a missional team, which means ministry and trying to do stuff for God should not interrupt your ability to lead your family well. Take your family with you. Make your family a part of the work of God that you're doing. Teach them what it looks like to lovingly bless people because Jesus has blessed you. Your family's a vehicle for ministry. Seek God's plans rather than your own. That's why Proverbs 16, 9 says, the heart of, the, the heart of man uh, plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps, right? What does that mean? That means you need to be prayerful about the plans and direction that you're making for your family, because maybe sometimes the Lord may have different plans for you. Be prayerful about that thing. Release your kids. What does that mean? If, if the heart of God is on you and you're spending time with the word of God and you're engaged in your lives, then you know your children. You know what they're good at. You know what they're passionate about. Uh, and you know what the Lord has gifted them in. And so you've got to encourage them to utilize the gifts that God's given them in proper outlets. You've got to instruct them and guide them and encourage them to utilize the, God, the gifts that God's given them in the proper outlets. See, some of, the, some of the issues we run into is, as parents, we have our own agenda for our, the life of our kids. Since the day they were born, we already know what we want them to be, what we want them to do, how we want them to get there. 
And we've planned out their lives in such a way that if, if, they don't want what, if they don't want for themselves what we want for them, then now they're being disobedient. Or they're a problem child. You've got to be willing to, 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 to humble yourself before God, to be prayerful about what he wants for your children, but also give them the freedom in Christ right, to explore and, and, and be fruitful in what it is he's gifted them to do. Now, obviously, as your children are younger, you're going to be more hands-on with that development and direction. As they get older and as they get freedom and as they mature, then you need to be releasing them and encourage them to do what God would have them to do. Focus on eternity. As parents, you need to have an eternal perspective of everything that happens in your home. Everything has to be pointed to glory. Everything has to remind your kids of Jesus coming back. They need to know that there's going to be a return of the king. They've got to know that. They have to know that their lives are being lived in light of the return of God coming to take them home. And you've got to encourage them in that. See, when you have a heaven, when you have a heaven mentality, when you have a, a, a future glory mentality, then it changes how you operate. It changes, it changes what you prioritize here on earth. See, if you, if, you, if you have heaven's mind on you when you're thinking about the direction of your children, then it, it changes you going from uh, them having bad grades to, to, to shepherding and developing and cultivating their heart as it relates to their relationship with Jesus. Not saying you don't deal with the bad grades, so don't hear me say that. Don't hear me say that. But you will have some kids that aren't exceptionally adept uh, 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 in school or education. All your kids ain't going to get straight A's. They're not. And so if you have multiple children, don't hold each child to the same standard like they're the same. You've got to know that. You've got to be sensitive to that. You've got to know your children. You've got to know how they're wired. Right? You've got to know that. You've got to know how they're wired. So, um, and then last but not least, uh, pay attention to life's rhythms. So as parents, uh, as, as, as leaders, uh, uh, Mom and dad, you've got, to, you've got to know when it's time to take a break sometimes. You've got, to know what's, you've got to know when it's time for your children to rest the Sabbath. You've got to know when it's time to go out on a date. You, you've got to know these things. You've got to pay attention uh, to, to the rhythm of life. You, you're going to have those busy seasons of life, but you need to, it shouldn't be so busy that it takes away from the direction of the family, from the emotional uh, bond and connection to the family. Shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that. So we've got to, got to be aware of all these things. Um, and so we're, we're about to end. But, but listen, if, 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 you ha- if, you're, if you're a parent now and you haven't done any of these things, don't let this discourage you. It's not too late. The Lord gives grace. The Lord gives grace. For my single fathers and single mothers in here who, who feel like this is too much for them to do by themselves. Listen, the Lord gives grace. He himself, he himself helps you, but he will also send gifts from the body to you to fill in where you can't do it. So if you haven't done this or you feel like it's too much, be prayerful because the, the Lord, the Lord will give extra grace where it's needed to make sure that everything he's called you to, you can accomplish. Whether it be through you or through a gift that the body's going to give you in relation as a person to be able to fill those gaps for you. But this, this should still be your view. This should be your mentality. This is what he wants our families to look like. This is how he wants our families to operate. Because ultimately, when we do these things, they bear a, a direct reflection to who we say our God is. And, and, and I, I, I'll tell you what, if you haven't noticed... Not just in the world, not just in the country, but even in the church, there's an assault on the family. There's an assault on the family. And in case you didn't know, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, right? So so the uh, 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 civil services, um, education, like uh, all of that stuff, it can't replace mom or dad being engaged in their lives and shepherding their children. Nothing will replace it. 
But you, you've got to be aware of these things. You've got to be intentional with these, with these things. And, you, and you've got to want your children to be nurtured by and grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you don't teach them, somebody else will. Somebody else will. Let's get ready to go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for giving us such a clear clear view of what you would have us to do. God, we pray for our children, God. We pray that they would know you at a young age and that their lives would be submitted uh, to the authority and power uh, of the Lord God. And so, God, as parents, we pray uh, that, that you would have us to really be intentional and in engaging the hearts of our children, God, so that they would reflect how beautiful you are, how merciful you are, and how kind you are. God, and for those parents who haven't, who, who haven't constructed their families like this or, or who, who feel like they don't have enough resources to do this on their own, God, I pray you would give them much grace. God, I feel like they wouldn't be consumed by loneliness, God, uh, but I pray that you would be ever with them uh, as they, as they do what you've called them to do because you've never given us a task that was too much for us to bear uh, because you're with us always. And so we thank you, God, for this opportunity to serve you by serving our children and that our lives in and of itself would flow from this awesome uh, relationship that we have from Jesus uh, uh, because of what he's done on the cross. And so, God, make, may our lives uh, uh, be so impactful uh, that, that it impacts our children and future generations in God because we can't give to them what we don't have. And so I pray we would take extra consideration to making sure that we are indeed connected to the vine uh, who gives all things that's, that's needed for life and godliness. Uh, and so, Lord, may we, may we take advantage of this openness that you give us uh, to the throne of grace uh, that we may call out to you and cry out to you and that you may hear us and that you may act on our behalf. And so uh, we pray all of this in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.